Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Common Ground West. My name is Brennan. I usually lead worship here, um, but I lost my voice for today for singing, so I'm going to do this. I'm joking. Um, Anthony actually asked me to do this, so we get to join in this together. So last week we started a new series, um, really on the Bible, um, talking through its divine origin last week. And Anthony referenced we're going to be talking through its story today. So we'll be here for, I think, the next week um, because the Bible is a big book. And then at the end of the week, we'll be done and we can have Anthony's next, next talk. <laughs> I'm joking. But um, we're going to try and condense a lot today. Um, and I'll, I'll jump into the scripture here and shortly and we can get rolling. Um, so as we do every week, let's pause for a moment, um, take some deep breaths, allow our body to catch up to our minds and reflect and focus on God's Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning, we recognize that you are here in our midst. May we be attentive to what you would have for us. May you form and shape us into your likeness. May we seek your kingdom first this morning as a community. And may we grow in our love for you and in our love for one another. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you rise for the scripture this morning? Luke 24, 26 through 32, on the road to Emmaus. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Man, I, I love the description in this passage of the, of the two followers of Jesus asking each other, we're not our hearts burning within us. It's, it's a beautiful image. And I, I love to note here the much more realistic question that I would be asking is more along the lines of, where did Jesus go? Instead of just first saying, yeah, I really liked him. Um, I mean, if you are walking with someone and he just rose from the dead, I guess you really wouldn't question where Jesus disappeared to because you figure he could probably do sleight of hand. But 
we're, we're talking about the story of Scripture this morning, and I just want to reflect on some of my, some of my youth for a moment. But I grew up in, with a group of people that were invested in my growth and development. I had a community, I had a family that had a strong support net for me. There were lots of factors that were around me that were growing me to, to where I am today. And I reflect on how I grew up in the church and there were key moments that I can kind of look back on towards my development towards like ministry today where I lead in worship. I can remember my, when I was in elementary school, I had a pastor who was named Chip and he led a children's choir and he continued to draw out of me this love for music and this love for song and told me when I was far too young that I had a, a lovely voice, which I knew I didn't, but he called it out of me. He saw what was coming. I also had a piano teacher named Alsbricks when I was in elementary school that drew out a love for musicianship and for instrumentation. Um, a friend of my mother's who prayed with her regularly, she would continually speak like prophetic words over me saying, I see where you're going to be. I see you leading in worship. I see you leading in praise. Um, my youth pastor, when I was in high school, he asked me to lead a band of high schoolers as our youth group. And that led into me being able to lead worship in our church at the time for everyone that was there. So they continually emphasize this story of seeing who Jesus is and then also recognizing how I was responding to that call of Jesus, to his story, and then calling me into what they saw my future was too. I was really formed by those stories that they told. And the stories that we allow ourselves to hear are what form us. Even while I parent, I'm reminded of how important it is to speak truth over my own kids. I need to reinforce in their minds how loved they are and what I see them growing towards and stepping into. If I continually speak negatively about them, they will become internalized messages and then they'll become fulfilled in their lives. So we also bear this responsibility as a community with one another. When we have a child dedication here, we commit to, as a community, speaking stories over these kids together. And just like Todd was explaining earlier, this children's ministry that we have, that we partner on in together, we continually speak the story over our kids to grow them and call out to them how we see them respond to Jesus. So we are these story-formed people. Our lives are wrapped into stories that we tell ourselves. So just as Jesus did, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, when he explained all of the scriptures, I'm going to try to do that um, to an extent today. Firstly, I'm sorry. This is not walking along a road with Jesus himself, having all things explained. I immediately assume it's a letdown compared to being able to do that with him. But the Holy Spirit's here. The Holy Spirit's powerful. And the grace that you have for me and all of my missteps trying to walk through this large topic is greatly appreciated. So let's hope this goes well. All right. From the start, Genesis 1, in the beginning, um, we see in the Bible that creation is the first step. God makes a very good world. He sees all that he has made and calls it very good. Um, it's a world that is full and complete that God takes residence within. It's an overlap of heaven and of earth where God meets with man. And he makes man in his own image. In our image, he makes us. So God within himself, within calling himself our, has some form of community. 
that is already found within God. And the act of creation is an extension to us to join in that community that God has. And how do we join in that? Well, in Genesis 1, we see that it's to rule over. We partner with God in ruling over creation. And then the last born of creation, humans who were made last, are now the ones that take charge over ruling the the sea, the, or the birds of the sea, nope, that's not right. The birds of the sky, the fish in the sea, and the livestock of the ground. So God speaks this over humans twice. He, he tells this story to humans that you are to rule over. And then he says it again, you are to rule over. And we're to partner within that as his image. The way that humans do that, we're presented with a choice represented by the tree of knowing good and bad. We can choose to trust God and his definition, or we can choose to seize our own definition of good and bad. So it's either to trust or to take is really the decision that's presented before us, and that's represented really by a tree. Because there's, there's two trees that are placed in the middle of this garden, this garden, um, the tree of life, and then the tree of knowing good and bad. And knowing good and bad in and of itself is not presented as a wrong thing to have. It's, it's really needed in order to rule. But the way that we take that, the way that we receive that, is the question. So God is trying to lead us to understand what good and bad is, but on his turns and his timing and his way. So we have this choice. Humans can choose to trust or they can choose to take. And we see that humans end up taking. So humans choose death by exile. And when, when the woman saw that the fruit was good and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. And then we see a cascade throughout this story of now that humans have their own definitions of good and bad, and not rely on God's definitions, those start to compete. And we start to see that this competition of what's your good versus your good versus your good and my good start to develop into a devolving cycle that leads back into a decreative process. It leads us into a violent cycle that we see in Genesis 6, that everyone was corrupt and full of violence. And then through that time, God grants that chaos to come back into the world based off humanity's decision. We see a flood come, and that's really a decreative process because at the start, God was hovering over chaos waters. And now humans have brought that chaos onto themselves. Um, this eventual destruction that humanities are bringing upon themselves is brought through the flood, but within that flood, God is always saving a remnant. Within the choice of Adam and Eve to sin against God, God leaves a promise there. He says there's a seed that will crush the head of the snake, of the accuser, and that will, then the snake will puncture his heel, but the seed will crush his head. So we continually see that there's this fight between humans who choose for themselves and invite chaos into their lives versus 
God leaving a promise and leaving a way out through that death and exile. Um, we, we see this go forward. We see Noah um, being saved as a revenant through the flood. He builds an ark out of, the, out of wood. It's literally called a tree that he builds an ark out of. He is saved through these chaos waters with a remnant for humanity and lands on the ground. God creates a space for him to live and they eventually develop another society that again starts to devolve. And when we have this, this um, death by exile choice, um, we see that people continue to develop a society that leads to oppression, leads to a violence again. We get to the Tower of Babel and, and God fulfills his own command by scattering them all over the earth um, and sending them all over by confusing the language. And again, it leads to another place of death by exile at the Tower of Babel, which is also known as Babylon. Um, so the next kind of phase of the Bible is really the calling of the nation of Israel um, that starts in Genesis 12. We see this callback to that sowing of the seed in, at the cursing passage, but we also see that people will be blessed through this family. And we get to this point in the story where we're sitting in even greater expectation because we want to see a human that trusts in God instead of seizes by their own term what the definition of good and bad is. Um, again, we start going down this cascading network of humanity that's even longer than in the first one, where we see the patriarchs, the people, continually sin, continually put themselves before God through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the way down through the kings. Um, there are prophets that are continually calling the nation back to God, but they continually sin over and over again. There is joy, there is blessing mixed within because of faithfulness, like small amounts of faithfulness from people like David who seek after God's own heart. But we always see this return pattern to really death by exile. So we see the nation of Israel being taken into the nation of Babylon yet again. So there's this repeated pattern, there's this repeated um, call that really recognizes what humanity does on its own. Um, where we are is we're supposed to see ourselves reflected in the story of Israel and that in my humanity, I continually fight against what the correct order of things is, which is trusting in God. So we get to this point in the story where we leave the nation of Israel. They've been in exile. There's a remnant that comes back. And then there's this period of silence. And then we have this moment where the good news comes. We see that Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels announcing a new kingdom, a kingdom that is wholly different from any ones that we've seen before. He, he uses the exact same language as the kingdoms of the day. Like gospel is pulled straight from Caesar Augustus. There was a gospel of Caesar, Caesar Augustus declaring peace from Rome, which was a forced peace. It was a military peace. But Jesus uses this same language. The authors use the same language to notify of a kingdom that is not on human terms. It's a kingdom that leads into submission of self-sacrifice, of denying oneself to bring about the glory that God would have for earth. Um, it, 
And then Jesus, in one passage, he gets called right after his baptism into the desert by the Spirit. And in this passage, there's, there's a lot of points where Jesus is being accused and called into question, just like Eve was in the garden. Um, and he responds each time with scripture and through his knowledge. And he, he responds appropriately and says, no, I want to respect God's timing for knowing what good and bad is. I want to respect what God, trust in what God says and, and not um, kind of fall off of this. Or I don't know what I just said, but yeah, you get the point. Um, the next piece that kind of comes into this is Jesus trusting and ends up receiving the death by exile that was undeserved to him. Um, Todd read a verse that really kind of captured a lot of this point this morning. I think he read my notes beforehand. You were reading my notes, right, Todd? No? Okay. But it was the one who knew no sin accepted sin onto himself on behalf of the many. Um, it's a beautiful way to represent that Jesus allows the cross to do the worst to him. Um, it's a point in the story when, when Jesus becomes the vehicle for resurrection by allowing, to do, by allowing the curse to do its worst to him. Um, I do want to share one, one quote around this from the Bible Project um, that's really fantastic that kind of draws this, this representation to together. Because what we see in the Garden of Eden is there's, there's two trees, one that represents life and one that represents the decision of, of taking or trusting and humans take. And we come to this point in the story where Jesus becomes representative of, of essentially a new tree that combines the two together where curse and blessing really meet. So the Bible Project, which is a fantastic resource, they have this series on the Tree of Life in their podcast. But they, they say that the death of Jesus on the tree in the middle of a high place becomes both the place of cursing and the source of blessing for all nations. Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice that brings the presence of God to every person. So... We've, we were in, in my house. I just want to kind of do like a little pause because we've covered probably, depending on which version, like 700 to 1,000 pages worth of biblical text right now. So like take a deep breath real quick. Um, we were yesterday in my home. Evie had drawn some pictures on scrap paper. Um, my daughter, she's four. Um, and we were... I was preparing for this and kind of thinking about this, but she had drawn a picture that looks, looks like this. And in the, in, the, in the child's framework of what this looks like, she, I started saying that there, were these, there was this other picture that she had drawn on scrap paper too that looked like this. And we were making some like leaf dioramas to hang in the window. Um, and these were the scrap paper that we were supposed to throw away, but Abby, my four-year-old, decided to draw on them. Um, and they had these cuts within them, and I took them together and I just put them like this to represent how there's this new tree that comes together. So we sat together and she said, this is the tree of knowing good and bad, and this is the tree of life. 
And when you take these together with Jesus on the cross, it becomes the cross that Jesus was on that represents blessing and, and um, curse. And it was beautiful to hear her just walk through that because when I, I told her that, she said, say it again. <laughs> and I said, okay, this is the tree of knowing good and bad. This is the tree of life. The two come together with Jesus on the cross. And then she said, okay, I need to tell my brother Macklin. So she took the pieces of paper, said, this is the tree of knowing good and bad. This is the tree of life. And then two come together with Jesus on the cross. And then she needed to tell her mom. And then she needed to tell her stuffed animal unicorn. And so she just continued to repeat this story over and over again. And it was beautiful to see how children can just pick up on a visual representation and just start to run with it and communicate that story. And it started to form her, and it started to form others that she told. So jumping back in, um, we have the opportunity to pick up that cross and follow Jesus. It's a specific call from Jesus, and it's an invitation, really. It's to say, you have the opportunity to follow me, and I want you to invite, I want to invite you to pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up the way that you have seen me submit to the will of the Father and carry that out in your life as well. So we have this new story, um, and it, the story really is the life of Jesus. We also have a point in Scripture where we see where this is kind of headed towards. In Revelation 21, we see that the new heaven and the new earth come down. Um, we're in, like this space of an expectation of a sure victory. And our hope is not vapid. It's a hope that's sure because Jesus has died and risen again. And that is a coming surety thing. Um, and we're invited to see reality through that lens. And we can partner with God. We look forward to the resurrection of all things. We look forward towards a new heaven and new earth. Um, and we are in an already but not yet kingdom because Jesus has announced it. He's brought it. But there's, there's future expectation that we live within right now as well. So we are going to pass through death and join with the Lord. But what we really truly await is the resurrection when the new heaven and new earth again are here. So we're kind of waiting for like our life after life. Um, this is just a lot. I'll just say, sorry. But... Anthony asked me to talk about the whole Bible. <laughs> so we live in the middle of this story. We live right where exile and resurrection compete. They rub against one another. Resurrection has this final vic victory and final word, but exile continues to exist and do its worst, which Anthony's talked about this time and time again, but it, it provides meaning to our suffering, that when we rub up against death, when we rub up against hurt, there is a narrative that this folds within that provides meaning and trajectory to that suffering. It may not always help um, in the moment because there are moments that are just really hard as humans. Um, I would also note like what this story is, kind of what I was putting it around was just creation, sin, failure, death, and exile, and restoration is like a really simple way to get like a large trajectory over what's happening in the Bible. I do want to talk a moment about how we read, like confronting passages in the Bible hard in a way that 
like makes us kind of like want to throw up a little bit. Because um, there are moments in the Bible where you come across a passage and you're like, guttural reaction. Um, and it's helpful in my mind to have this overarching thread in the back of my mind to kind of be able to shove it in towards. So there's, there are parts in scripture where God asks Israel to utterly destroy a nation. Um, and I would note that it's really confronting and it's really confusing. On this, on this part, I, would, I usually shove it into its proper place of saying this is representative of sin, death, and exile. And I sit confronted in it. And my ideals really don't align with the words that are on the page. Um, but where I kind of come back to is that the story has done its work on me to make me queeze at that, to make me feel guttural. Because the only reason that I feel that way is because of the understanding that those are images of God. Those are people valued and seen by God. And that work that the life of Jesus has done on me is what makes me cringe about it. There's also passages where, with Lot, um, that I can't stand. But again, he, he pushes and offers his daughters over to men in place of house guests. Um, but I, again, I just have to shove that narrative into its proper place of being representative of the worst of humanity. It's really in sin, death, and exile. Um, this isn't the last time we'll talk about that. Anthony's supposed to talk that, about this a lot more in detail, but it, it's helpful for me to just kind of recognize where that is. Within that general story too, there's, there's a bit of a shift in the life of Jesus. We see sin, failure, death, and exile have much more of a say, it seems, in the Old Testament, where God still leaves with a promise and a remnant, but it, it, does, it isn't always assured. You're, you're always questioning, where is the one that's going to bring a final victory? In the life of Jesus, we see a flip, where the tree of decision and the tree of life come together, and the last word is restoration. Because Jesus has come to do that final work, and our resurrection hope is secure. So when we're reading and have, having confusions, or try, try to remember where you are in the story, and what God is trying to draw out of you to, to a deeper understanding. Um, so this overall story, why is it important to know? Um, what's the purpose for it? Why should we allow it to do work on us? Um, it's really because earlier I stated we are story form people. The stories that I heard, the stories that I reflected on were really forming me. Um, and at any time, we are always being formed by a story, whether we are realizing it or not. Um, I, I'm going to share a few of the competing stories that I found within myself. I'm sure there's a lot of other competing stories that we can walk through. But I, I'm going to talk to how these competing stories um, kind of what, what they are, where they have been in my life, and then also talk about how the biblical story cuts against them. So the first one that I've kind of thought about, and I love this G.K. Chesterton quote about progressivism, but, and I'll read it real quick, but progress is providence without God. That is, it is a theory that everything has always perpetually gone right by accident. It is a sort of atheistic optimism based on an everlasting coincidence far more miraculous than a miracle. 
So this is a, a framework that we are marching forward as a society and everything will accidentally become right someday. Um, it, it really flips towards um, allowing me to think that if we can just get like a right and common value system, if we can get right policies, if we could get a right political leader, right programming, right education, we can drive us all towards a better civilization, uh, towards human flourishing, which is what God is about in the garden. But I can believe this um, without the kingdom of heaven, without the need for Christ. Um, and when I get to the framework of thinking that we can just move ourselves forward if we have the right stuff, it, it starts to look a lot more like the Tower of Babel people than it is really a submission to God. Um, again, what the Bible says about that is this is a downward spiral, violence, oppression, and death, if we start to take the life of Jesus without, out of it. Another time that I, I can kind of fall away from thinking about the story of, of what Jesus has done as being preeminent is I can lean towards like a deterministic, religion perspective where I can think that God is going to work things out. Um, I kind of put it a weird title on it, but I called it atheistic religiosity um, only because determinism is the ultimate endpoint of an atheistic perspective that everything is determined or it's a quote from Stephen Hawking, who's a, a brilliant science mind, but is an atheist um, is everything determined. The answer is yes, it is but it might as well not be because we can never know what is determined. So it, he's too smart and annoying, but at the same time, you can tend to forget the biblical claim of free will and choice and think my actions don't really matter because I don't have much agency in the work that God's doing. Um, I can tend to fall into this at times and, and just slip on that. And really, the, the biblical story really cuts against that by saying, no, you're, you're a partner with God. You partner in this work. It's not because of you that the kingdom is coming. It's because of Jesus. But your agency and your action have purpose and have meaning towards that new, new community and that new action. It's, it's really an extension of that community that God is trying to create with all of us. Um, the last one that is, to me, most sinister, because I fall into it a lot, um, literally, right now, I'm looking at two different devices, but it's really around an informational market economy. Um, Mark Sayers has a really good quote about this, but in the network world, even the most committed believer will consume only a fraction of the information and input from their church compared to what they consume via podcasts, YouTube, and Netflix. The digital network is now our primary formational environment it shapes our opinions, values, and worldview. Today, the average churchgoer will Google a problem before they approach their pastor. The digital network is the primary shaper of their theological, political, and cultural worldview. This one, this one gets me because it's where I can slip into most if I go on autopilot. If I don't sit with scripture, if I don't sit with a story that cuts against this, I can start to get like more quick. I need faster stuff. Because every, every time that I'm engaging with screens and their design, they're really engineered so that I, they can grab my attention, so that they can show me more ads 
and then they can help influence me make decisions in a quick marketplace with, with money. Um, where the Bible really comes into this is that the Bible is really meditative literature that's designed to be reflected on for an entire lifetime, and it's very slow. This is very different from how I've been trained through looking at phones or looking at media or trying to get things quick. Um, again, this, this is really hard for me to speak about because I'm really not good at it, but it's just something that I notice within myself that as I get quicker and quicker and want to make decisions faster and faster, like I really need to stop, unplug, and then try and move myself into a different, into a different mode. Um, so again, just kind of pointing to why is this all important. We as people are going to be formed. We're going to be formed by a story. Um, if you are committed to trusting that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, we need to try and take steps towards being formed by the story that he tells us and not so much of the story that we could be given towards when we're on autopilot. Um, and really, it, it's, again, Jesus provides invitation to us. Um, engaging with scripture, reading the Bible, listening to the story as a community is really just an invitation. By being here today, you've already engaged one time in trying to understand the story as a community. Like, this is probably the way that most of this is the way that most of history, the story of Jesus has been told. Um, we are stepping into a tradition that is, well, okay, not with iPads, not with screens, but like human talking. Um, even on the road to Emmaus, like at that time when Jesus was telling those disciples the story, he didn't just pull out his tablet and say, here, read this. They were written on scrolls. So that storied communication was just communicated to them out of memory from just being in the story with communities for so long. Um, and we get to partner within that if, if you want to, um, to follow after Jesus. So I have some ways that I like to engage, um, some ways that are easy to kind of just start investing time. But I love hearing the Bible discussed because it's super easy. Um, if you come to church, you get to hear it each week. Um, another one is reading alone. Um, you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to Bible Project resources. Um, one that I have brought here that I'll just set out is actually their coffee table book. They have um, videos that have like story maps of each of the different passages of Bible. So I just opened up to like Zephaniah. They have videos that are associated with these, but they just drew out what the map of the story would be and how it connects into the greater story. So like, here's the Gospel of John. And then their uh, video transcripts are written on the top. It's a really fantastic read. I'll just leave it up here so that if you want to peruse what the resources look like, you can look there. Um, we have discussing scripture with others. So like in our SFGs, on ours is on Thursday. We get to talk weekly with, with our friends, our beloved friends. Yeah, Andrea, shout out. Yeah, saw that. Um, and, and then we also have engaging in prayer. Um, we have access to the Holy Spirit. We can commune with the Holy Spirit um, at any time. We also have many other ways to engage. Um, really, there's, there's no 
what I want to say is there's, there's no shame in not engaging this story. There's only invitation to step into a different way of viewing the world and viewing reality. Um, and the ways that we do that is really by trying to engage in the way that our hearts are most, most apt to do that. If it's through community, join a community that wants to reflect on this. If it's through solitude and silence, take time for yourself and reflect on the story. Oh, I forgot this one. Oh, back to kind of this, like another great way to engage is just tell the story. Find like a simple representation. My daughter found one that she was really akin towards and just communicate that story to someone. It helps form you too. Um, if, if you don't know where to start like practically in the Bible, I think the best place to start is really any of the gospels. Um, we're 10 months into this year, almost 11 months. Uh, there were probably quite a few people that said they were gonna read the Bible in a year and you may have fallen off that way. So before the end of the year, you could just pick a gospel, lead, listen to it, read regularly. Um, there's Bible project videos that help put maps around this story so that you can kind of have some grounding points um, as you work through it. And those have been found really helpful. Um, again, it, this is an invitation to be shaped by the unified story that leads to Jesus, um, which, is, which is a really powerful story to tell it cuts against the way that, that we are naturally formed um, as people. Uh, with that, would you, would you mind if I prayed for us real quick?